from a perspective of seeing God from that perspective. And that's what Faith Essentials is all about, the series we did in June, which is, is absolutely necessary. It's absolutely needed. But sometimes we need to see God's perspective to stay motivated. And, and that's what I wanted you to and I to experience during, during, this, during this series. And sometimes this seems overwhelming because of our weaknesses, our temptations, and our default buttons. And if we only look from that vantage point, it is. But from God's perspective, he is looking and desires to build trust in every person's life. Doesn't matter where you're starting or where you find yourself, he, he wasn't, he's not giving up on you. He wants to build your trust level. I'm talking about that trust level of the people you admire. The people you look at them and they are going through things that you go through, and yet they go through it differently. I'm talking about the people, it's not that they don't get frustrated, it's not that they don't get down, it's not that they don't get sad. We're talking about people that you look at and admire. And, and even their temptations and trials are frustrating to you. They are affecting your faith level, but not theirs. You look into their lives and you say, man, how can you keep believing God or believing in a God that allows that or believing that this is going to get better? How can you do that? How can you be that kind of person? And they just say, I just, I just know that God's going to take care of it. And we look to aspire to that. And I want to encourage you because this was not encouraged in my life. In my life and my faith involvement, when I became a Christ follower, I was taught to look at men. Certain people would have that level of faith, like this guy and this guy. And you would know because they would be on a conference ticket speaking at some conference. Had no idea that God wanted that for every Christ follower, including me. But the people you admire their faith, God wants you to have that kind of faith. And he is willing to build that kind of faith in you if you're, if you're willing to. Trust in any relationship is what it's all about. I mean, it brings out the best. And think about any relationship. If you have a high trust level between two people, it weakens insecurities. It enhances everybody's ability. And there is a freedom in that relationship. And God wants that kind of relationship with us. He wants us to be strong in our faith. This has been so misconstrued. It's this big huddle and this big exciting thing and this talk loud and pray loud and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But he wants us to mutate, to transform, to change. And he wants to build our faith as he does that. He doesn't want us to be mutants. Now, we have made being a mutant in Christianity like Vogue, you know, <laughs> That's more like Frankenstein. I don't know how mutants act. I just like to find the picture of Louis Frankenstein. Frankenstein-like, you know. Just, just spiritual mutants, man. They live in a bubble. They spiritualize everything. Everything is a cliche statement. They live in this spiritual sanitized bubble. <laughs> They're just always running around this bubble. What is all the, I believe in Jesus, you know. They never experience the temperature. They never experience the bumps and the bruises. They live, they're mutants, man. They, they know all the statements. They know all, all of that. But they, they live by facts and they live by quotes rather than by faith. Mutants make faith so weird that they make it so unattainable, so undesirable. And here's what, I, here's what I've come to believe. You don't have to agree with me on this. But I believe God wants our faith to be so appealing that rather than people say, I could never be like that, 
that they ask a question, I wonder if God could do that in me. I know this person. I work with this person. I've hung out with this person. I wonder if God could do that in me. That's the question. Mutants don't get that. Mutants get, you know, I can't relate to that. They're in this bubble. And, they, and, and the mutants feel spiritual because when people say that, they're like, oh, you're so spiritual. The mutants are like, mm-hmm, you know, boy, they're in the bubble. Like a hamster, man. That's not what God wants. He wants mutating faith, changing, transforming faith. Now, church in the 90s, we, we tried to make Jesus secretive, like, hey, man, there's this guy, Jesus, because the church had become so irrelevant. We're going to take all the crosses down, and we're going to be like, Jesus really loves you, and he doesn't want to do anything but be in your heart and be in your life, and, and you can keep doing whatever you want, and it'll be okay. It's not the case. God wants to mutate your life. He wants to transform you. And the transformations that you see in other people you think you could never attain, he can do that in you and I too, if we let him. Because, and, and the whole thing about transformation, we try to transform people before they trust. I mean, people, we did it in old school church, man. We tried to get people to, which is so stupid, to what we thought looked like a Christian, act like a Christian, talk like a Christian, think like a Christian, before they were ever Christ followers. And so if they came to the church gathering and they didn't look right, we kind of like ushered them or put them in a side thing or put them in an overflow room or put them in the back and then pushed them out the exit before all the spiritual people saw them. And so we've kind of created this mess. But God wants to build a relationship of trust. And as he begins to build that relationship of trust, it will inevitably, you can't help it, it will begin to transform and change every piece of our lives. And today we're going to look at providential relationships. I, you know, you don't really know they're a providential relationship until you kind of look in the rearview mirror. You're going down the highway of life. If you're like me, you know, as fast as you can go. And then every now and then you look in the mirror to, for, to see if the highway patrol is coming up or, you know, to see if anybody wants to pass you. But every now and then in the faith mirror, you look back and you say, man, that was, that was of God. That was, that was so powerful that that person came into my life at just the right moment. There's people that help you with a step, ask a question, begin. I mean, some of you, everybody here, we're going to see this. You are here because someone was a providential relationship in your life. They helped you with a question. They helped you with a tough area. They helped you with a tough time. And if you ask that person that was had an impact in your life, if they said, how did you impact Jason, they would say, well, honestly, it doesn't sound spiritual, but it was just proximity. We were close in workspace, or our families were friends, or our wives were friends, and it was just proximity. I mean, we just worked together. If you talk to some people, though, they would sheepishly, because it seems so embarrassing, they, they would just see that you had a need, or they had a feeling that they needed to talk to you, or they just, they, they don't, they're, they're in Spock and don't emote, but they saw that you were struggling and they had struggled with that before, so they started a conversation with you. They, they just invaded your personal space. It was awkward for them. It probably was awkward for you, but they stepped out of their world to make themselves available to you. It's happened to every one of us. There's a lot of those for me in my life. I was thinking about this this morning. One of the people that was my pre-trusting Jesus people, was a guy named Brad Spence. Brad would invite me to church, and his family would invite me to church, and 
I would go every now and then and just do my math homework. I hated church. I didn't want anything to do with it, but I liked hanging out with Brad, and the church was completely irrelevant. But I went. I thought about the guy that influenced my dad, Ronald Schaefer, who directly had an influence on me. That was my pastor when I became a Christ follower. He was such a commanding presence for a guy no taller than this music stand, you know. My eyes would water around him. I didn't know how to act around preachers. I thought, I just didn't understand it. I was like, we get all embarrassed. The daughter would embarrass me in front of him and all that kind of stuff. I thought about the pre, those just those, I mean, I, there are so many when I, did the message, I got. I, I just kind of went to the ceiling, like, what would God see if he overlooked my life? And I thought about little Shannon and Rachel. I thought about Shannon Haber and Rachel Coldiron. Shannon actually came to a LifePoint service two Easter's ago. She lives in Ohio, but was down uh, seeing friends and came to a service. But she and Rachel, when I was a skinny teenage kid, they invited me to come and sit with them in a service. And suddenly church had a new meaning. Not only pretty girls, and I, and I, and I, you know, I'm honest, it was because they were attractive to me. But here was the thing. By them inviting me, because I would sit in the back, and I would watch all the teenagers. Like, our church was like this, so there would be a, I would sit, like the teenagers would be right here, and I was in the back. And I would watch all them, and there was like 40 or 50 or 80 of them, whatever there was, it's a fairly large church. And I would be like, man, it would be so cool to be a part of that. And I never would break into that. You know, it's so weird for my personality, but I just didn't understand church. I didn't understand how it worked, and I didn't know that I could be connected to anybody. But when they invited me into that circle, I really began, I truly began to listen to the messages. And, and I know, because I remember that, and I don't remember a lot, that that was pivotal in my journey. And some of you have that same story. Every juncture and time in our lives, God usually puts a pivotal person. Some of those pivotal people become, they become a, a, a part of your life. Brad, God intersected my life with a pastor who is now Pastor Brad White in college. Brad was standing against the wall, dopey look on his face. We, were, we had three girls and two guys going to go out, and Brad just happened to be the, the, you know, the extra man we needed. We needed a relief pitcher, and he, there he was, you know. So we, we invited him out, and after a couple jokes, you know, he, he was outgoing and so was I. I made a statement. He said, I knew from the time you made that funny statement that we were going to be friends. And now 20-some years later, we, we are still best buddies and talk at least twice a week. Never, this dopey-looking guy standing against the wall, I never thought that God would intersect my life with such a great friend. But every time we utilize these crazy intersections of God that change our lives. God, most of the time, brings people in our lives that we don't even pay attention to, we're not aware of. But if, we are, if we're in tune and we listen and we, and we really want help, then God sends those people and we respond. And I started thinking about my journey, and there were so many people, I mean, literally, you cannot believe the mosaic of people that God intersected my life with. It is unbelievable. I'm talking about 15-minute conversations with pastors, uh, people that were in their 80s that prayed for me. That I, I mean, just, it was nuts, stuff I found out as I got older. But in my, in my journey, the three big pieces that I remember the most that God just seen, these are just the ones. These are the deal breakers, the money makers in my life. I thought about, I thought about Stan and Mike Nice. My buddy Mike is a, is a manufacturing plant manager, and he's in Columbus, Ohio today. 
His dad, sadly, is no longer in church, bitter against God. But when I got saved, he wasn't bitter. And I remember that, that Mike and I would sit with Stan, his dad, and we would ask him any question about the Bible. And the dude just knew the Bible. And he would flip and he would give us answers and he would let us ask questions. And I know that in that tender moment and from where I came from, that God used that to really ground my faith quickly and teach me a love for the Bible immediately. Because honestly, at my church, we didn't have a starting point. We didn't have a 101. We didn't have a 201. We didn't have 301. We didn't have life groups. So I, I needed that in my life. And I started thinking when I did the message, I thought about Lewis Howard, man. Lewis uh, it was on, he, he just left being on staff at First Baptist Jacks. Church runs about 20,000. But he was my youth pastor until I was a sophomore. And then, and then God called him out of our church. But, but from the time I was about in eighth grade to about my sophomore year. And Lewis was fun. He was funny. He was rowdy. He, he, was, he was just, he loved to laugh. And, and uh, I, I know that he got in trouble all the time in our conservative church because he had big dreams, big ideas. He was very visionary. And that's honestly why he had to leave our church because he just was just riding a wave they could not understand. But Lewis, I remember this day vividly. Lewis began um, just saying, hey, man, why don't you make some visits with me? Why don't you, you know, go do some ministry with me? He had a beautiful young wife and two boys, and they're now in their 30s. And he, and he said, hey, go do this funeral with me. And so he would take me, and I would dress up like he did, and he would do it. Like, I remember he did this, this girl in our, in our church, and she was 18 years old, had a baby that died two months old. He did her funeral, and I was there with him. And I remember his, his Oldsmobile car, his shocks were out. You know, as I knew this, down the road. And we were going down Riley Boulevard. He said, Jamie, you're a leader, and I want to help you lead. Nobody ever told me I was a leader. People had told me I was stupid. People had told me I wasn't going to make it. People had told me I was a jerk. People had told me I was funny. But nobody had ever told me that I was a leader that I can make a difference in people's lives. And I am forever grateful, and I'm grateful I got the opportunity to tell him personally how much he meant to me and how much he invested in my life. And so that kind of was my intersection in my first part of my Christian life. Got into college, and it wasn't college that got me away from the Lord. It was, it was my own faulty belief system. People think you have to go do stuff in college and get away from God. That's a lie. But for me, I was not grounded in a healthy church. I made a ton of bad decisions, and I wanted to try to be that Christian playboy. I, you know, just, you know, I just thought you could walk the fence. I thought you could do two things. If nobody knew it was okay, I'd watch that in my life. So what, whatever. But that life was empty, and I, I come to, across a man named David Schooler. And David Schooler was a pastor, but he was a trained counselor. And he had helped one of my most dysfunctional friends of all time. And I thought, man, if he can help him, he can help me. So I set up an appointment, and I don't know how I kept this card, but December 14th, 1994, I still have the business card. I wrote the appointment down on that. I've set an appointment with David Schooler. Within about 45 minutes of my life, we had walked through the first five years of my life, and I sat and just wept in front of the stranger. 
that became a mentoring relationship after five to seven years. And God just used this guy to speak truth into me. He, you know, Pastor Schooler, which we're probably going to have him speak in the next six to eight months when he gets back from the mission field. Up here wasn't his favorite ministry. He loved meeting one-on-one with people. He was great at it. And God used him to build my life, and we are still friends. And we, we even, we're going to meet in the next two weeks up in Cincinnati. Just talk, because now it's gone from counselor, counselee, to brothers in arms and sharpening iron. And I said, who's speaking into your life? He said, nobody. He goes, who's speaking into yours? I said, nobody. He goes, let's get together in Cincinnati. This sounds great. But God brought these men in my life. And I know that God has brought people into your life that have been pivotal in your faith. And so I want to create an awkward moment for you right now, okay? Isn't that fun when you're at church? You know, we're going to turn the spotlight on you and have you sing a special, you know? One of those awkward things, man, like happened to me at church. Like, no, don't do that, you know? I want you to take, in this moment, I, I want you, because I know that your mind's been, like, thinking about those people that have been pivotal. I want you to talk to someone close to you. If, if there's somebody close to you, move to where somebody is. I want you to spend two minutes, one person that is investing your faith. I'm talking about in that juncture, you may not even be a Christ follower, and, and we don't normally do this. I don't know that I've ever done this since we've started LifePoint Church, but I, I want you to just turn to a person for two minutes. I'm going to watch my clock. Two minutes. I want you to tell each of you share one person that, had a, that was a difference maker in your life. And I want you to do that beginning now. People in your life that invest in your faith. I want you to look at this with me from from Jesus' perspective. That God uses relationships. Now, if you're a relational person, the reason and the reason we broke it down this way because I know you're relational. You're like relational bunnies. You're like, oh, this is wonderful. All your golden retrievers and otters, like, Ooh, you know, it's just it's just fun for you. If you're more introverted, you're more of a lone wolf kind of guy. You got the dream catcher and the wolf out on the moon at the back of your truck. I mean, this is not fun for you. Okay, this is not easy for you. But I want you to see this has nothing to do with personality because I, and this is my opinion, and this is from being gregarious probably, God has used introverted people in my life more than outgoing people. Now, maybe for you it's opposite, but the people that have spoken the deepest into my life were introverted people. Not deep like, oh, they're deep and smart, but I'm talking about the people that could get a hold of my soul and extract. The Bible says that that, that, that knowledge is, under, is a well in our in a, understanding is a well in our in, a, in us, and a man of understanding draws it out. Those have always been introverted people for me. So, I, so I want you to know that. I want you to look at Matthew four, verse eighteen. Check this out. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fish for a living. No big deal. Jesus called out to them, "Come, follow me." And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Now, this is where Jesus calls the disciples. And if you didn't know this, if you didn't know the rest of the story, then you would have missed something huge. 
I want you to look at this with me. John chapter 1. Joyce is kind of like, yeah, the disciples, hey, come and follow me. Yeah, but, but check this out. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. He was talking about Jesus. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked them around and saw them following and said, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see. And it was about 4 o'clock in the morning when they, or afternoon, excuse me, when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon's brother, was one of those men who heard what John had said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, or which means stone. Here is this introverted brother bringing his outgoing, outspoken brother to Jesus Christ. Now, I think, I think Jesus, I, and this is just my opinion, not to agree with me, but I think many times God starts with extremes with examples, and he's like, if this is really extreme, then I want you to work back to here, or if you're back on this continuum, that's okay, but this is really extreme. So who are the toughest people to reach? Who are the toughest people to, to bring to Christ, the people closest to you. They know your faults. They know you're fronting. They know when you're lying. They know when you're struggling. You can act spiritual around them, but they know the areas you're a complete baboon in. They know. And so that's why it's difficult to bring those people to Christ. But God used Andrew to bring his brother to Christ. And I, I, think, I think this is awesome because for many of us, we think our influence is benign with people right around us. And we're not outgoing, so we're not going to jump into conversations with people outside of, of our, concentric cir- our, our concentric relationship circles. But I want you to see that God shows that a faulty system. And here's, here's why. We think we have to be perfect to reach people. We think we have to be perfect to reach those around us. We think we have to be perfect to be providentially used in another person's life. We never stop and think the person that God used, we respected, but they weren't perfect. We always think, we always set the system up for ourselves of failure. And God says, listen, I want you to see this because Andrew reached his brother, who was his work partner, who were fishermen. I mean, if anybody was going to get ridiculed, it was going to be Andrew for following Jesus. And Pete was like, man, there's been a change in you. There's something in you. I'm going to follow Jesus too. He understood you. Think about this with me. Jesus was perfect, and his brother didn't become a Christ follower until he rose from the dead. So here you have Andrew, imperfect guy. You know that he did some things he probably shouldn't have. You've seen, you know, deadliest catch. Those guys aren't warm and fuzzy guys. You know, you've seen it. That's the kind of men these were. Imperfect, God used them. Perfect Jesus, his brother gets saved later. It's amazing. You don't have to be perfect. God uses relationships to ignite faith, to ignite faith. He also uses them to build faith. I want you to look at this with me. Acts chapter 9, incredible passage. Check this out. Verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, 
to the house of Judas. When you are there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. What? He's praying to me right now. <laughs> Not good one, God. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Paul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, remember that guy? He appeared to you on the road and sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, like something like scales fell from his eyes, and he, and, and he, and he regained his sight. Okay, I read too far. God used Ananias to confirm and to build Paul's faith. Number two enemy of the church. Number one was Satan. Number two was Saul. And so he comes to Ananias, and you can see the apprehension. Like, you know, Ananias, you're going to go help build the faith of the number two enemy of the church. Uh, what? Well, you know he kills Christians, right? He arrests them. You know, the arrest is the, under, you know, is the precursor to, to die. Yeah. Now, you know that, that I didn't go to college. You know I haven't read the whole Bible. Yeah, I know. You know I don't like Christian radio. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I, but I want you to go build the faith of this guy, Paul. And so he obeyed it, and it happened. And the rest is history. What if he had disobeyed? He was the Stan and Mike niece of the Apostle Paul. He was whoever you named to the people around you in your life. He was that to him. God wants everyone to build and be built, to experience a providential relationship, and to be a providential relationship to someone else. Because of why? Why would he do that? Why would he create these uncomfortable moments? Why would he turn you in circles until you have an intersection with a person that can make a difference? Because here's the reason. We're going to go up to 70,000 feet. We're going to look down past the problems, past the debt, past the arguing, past the personality differences. We're going to look at the ceiling that God's looking down from. And it's this reason right here. To build your trust in God. To build your trust in God. How do we leverage our relationship? I mean, the question we, this is the question. This is the thing we're leaving out of here with. How do we leverage our relationships? The first thing is just to be available. Bring them to me. Bring me to them. That's a prayer I pray. God, set up divine appointments for me. Bring them to me and bring me to them. Today was a divine appointment. I thought it was for me, but it was for them. The servers at Cracker Barrel have gotten used to seeing me come in there. At early in the morning, I was the first guy in there today, or one of the, on the in my section, I was the first guy. And I sit down, and it's, so they don't have anything to do. So they're you know they've all been my server at one time. So they come by and they hang out and they start talking about the church and they, they just I mean they hung out for like four or five minutes. Man. And I got to tell them about life point. I wasn't prepared for that. I had my message manuscript. I'm reading. I'm on a smokehouse breakfast and some sweet tea, and I want to wake up. You know, eyes are swelled up. But I got to share Jesus with them, and I thought, you know, I thought it was about them, but, but it was really about me. God, God was reminding me I'm still in the game. It's my passion to have those kind of conversations, and it's just a matter of being available. It's amazing. I love when he does that. And then, and then sometimes you just got to take initiative. 
It's going to be awkward at times. We want everything to be easy and effortless as Christ followers, because that's what we've been falsely promised. God wants to build trust. We say, listen, I've got this script of guarantee of winning. If you can you know, sign these papers, Jesus, I will take initiative. And God wants to use you to build trust. And here's, here's just some of the, thought, the thoughts off the top of my head as we get ready to get out of here. You know, to get with, fill in the blank. Who do you need to get with to be influenced or to, be, uh, to influence them? Who do you need to step outside your circle? Most of the time, we are searching to get someone in our lives when God will bring that person in our life. Who do you need to say, God, I will be a providential relationship? Who has God laid on your heart? Who has God placed in your path? Who has God made cross your mind? Because you may be for building your faith, join something, join a place, join a group, join life point, join a team, join, join an effort if it's already running. Start something, a conversation, a decision, do something if it's missing. Some of us are autopilot and you've got a million excuses, but God, listen, you will, you will be anemic and die you will, be, you will be stymied in your faith if you don't realize, please get this, you've got to experience providential relationships. And it's not that they're not happening. It's that we don't pay attention to them. And may, maybe there's some things you need to end. There are relationships that need to end in some people's lives. I am so proud of our single people at LifePoint. I get to talk with them some, and I, I, I hear them like, you know, how, how you doing, man? Are you dating anybody? You know, I was dating this guy, and he just turned out to be a, a D-bag. It's just, <laughs> Turned out to be a D-bag, turned out to be a jerk, and I just ended the relationship. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so proud of you. Because it's not easy being single. It's not easy keeping, a, you know, someone around just to go out with or to buy your dinner or to buy their dinner. And it's so much difficult to do that than be alone. And I just, it's just amazing. But there's sometimes you've got to end some things, something that's destroying you. Because relationships aren't good and bad. There are people in your life that build your relationship there are people in your life that destroy your faith relationship. They destroy it. They undermine it. Then there's some things that you just, people you need to distance from. See, here, here's what I heard and the other day. It bothered me so much. We've done this with Christ followers. We've said, you should, if you're a Christ follower, you should only hang out with Christ followers. Corinthians says that's not the case. Corinthians says if, if you do that, if you remove yourself from the world, then how are you going to be salt and light? How are you going to be an influence? How are you going to reach people? You can't do that. But what God is saying are the people close to you, the people speaking directly into your life, need to be going the same direction. I have had to cut Christ's followers out of my life because they were dragging my faith to the basement. They were self-absorbed. They acted ugly. They, they expected me to be the Holy Spirit and Jesus in their lives, and I, I refuse to do that. And so I've lost close friends because of that. But sometimes it's not sinful, it's just stressful, and you need to distance yourselves. No one has ever said, in isolation I found Christ, in isolation I grow in Christ, in isolation everything's been revealed to me, and you're a liar if you do, because somebody has spoken into your life. And God needs you and your story and your failures and your wins to be a part of somebody else's life. There are people only you can help because you can relate to their story. And I promise you, if you ask for them and you look around you, they will appear 
in your life. It's kind of like buying a, it's kind of like buying a car. You ever notice this? When you buy a car, you notice every other car that's just like yours, especially the color. You ever do that? Like when I bought a Jeep, of course, Jeep people have to wave at each other, like Harley guys. They got these special waves and, you know, and all this kind of stuff that you got to do. Except, you know, only Jeep Wranglers. If you drive a Cherokee, you're out of, you're out of commission now. I'm sorry. I know Jeep family, but there's just some rules there. I didn't make them up, okay? But you ever notice that? You drive, you see that. You drive a Harley, you see every Harley on the road. You drive, you drive a Hyundai, you notice every Hyundai. My father-in-law bought an HHR. I, I wave at every HHR from Kentucky and Ohio because I don't know if it's him or not. I mean, I see him everywhere. If you look for them, they will appear. In the Bible, people experience providential relationships. They were part of being that. I mean, you see it in the Bible, spouses, close friends, families, employees, employers. These are just a few of the examples in the Bible. Leadership, church, church relationships, strangers. And I don't know your story completely. But I know this. When you go to where God looks down at the pieces to understand them and to make your life more effective, that God wants you to experience providential relationships, and he will bring them to you. So many times we bring them. I know this in my life. I don't know if you're like me. He would bring them to me, and I would reject them because I was afraid of what I was going to have to do, say, change, think. But when I did embrace them, they were life-changing. And on the flip side, God wants you to be a holy intersection for someone else. My wife asked me the greatest question. My wife's always been a source of encouragement to me. I pray that I have been as encouraging to her as she has been to me. But she asked me 12 years ago when I was in manufacturing and I hated my life and I hated my job, what would you do, newlyweds, may I, may I add, what would you do if you could do anything and you knew you wouldn't fail? I didn't even have to answer. I was like, start a church. Now, my wife is kind. She's not like me. If I would have asked that to somebody and they would have given me the answer, I said, start a church, I'd have been like, you're a coward if you don't. She's sweet, though. She says, why don't you? And we took part of our money from our, from our wedding, and I flew out to California to learn a three-day conference on church planning. She was praying for me the whole time. I flew back. We launched our church. The rest is history. Here I stand before you today, 12 years later. God continues to intersect my life at this place, the lead team. I think about leadership. When I think about Louisville, I think about how God has built me as a leader. And he's used two guys as far as the, it was CEO mentalities to help me, Scott McReynolds and Chris Hibbs. They just helped me so much with leadership details that I just didn't know and I didn't understand because I wasn't exposed to them. There's so many people in the church that have, that have just prayed for me, and, and, and I just I have benefited from their intersection in my life, and I pray the same for them. And God sometimes just uses people. He wants to use you. I keep looking for the guy, and I close with this. I've told too many stories, but I keep looking for the guy at McDonald's. He's always out on Sunday mornings, the, the Mexican gentleman cleaning the parking lot. God intersected me with some Latinos in our church. And they had explained the Spanish community to me. It's so beautiful to me. 
get to reach Latino people and families. Just, just God just gave me a love for that community. I think as much as anything because they're passionate and so am I. Just a natural connection. There's beautiful people. And I saw this guy at McDonald's and he was cleaning it. And after all these conversations with Latino superstars in our church, just beautiful people, I saw this guy and I, and I just asked the question. My wife was with me. I said, why does he have to be disconnected from God? Because of a culture and language barrier. That can't happen. From that moment, from a stranger, God launched a desire for us to reach multiple cultures and people with LifePoint Church. Now the stuff behind the scenes we can't even talk about yet that's taking place because they're not in full form and just be kind of stupid to try to explain when I don't even understand them myself. It's amazing what's taking place. God wants you to have them and God wants you to be one. Let's pray. Today, God is intersecting your life. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, that person that that brought you to, to this place wanted you to know about Jesus. How much he loved you, that he died and was buried and rose again for you, and that if you invite him into your life, you can be different, you can be whole. If you say, Jay, that's me, I've come here at this early service, which usually is just regular people and our, our workers, and I, I just want to invite Christ into my life. If that's you, just where you're seated, say this to him. Say, Jesus, I realize I need you. And I invite you into my heart and my life to be my Savior and my God. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. With our heads bowed, if you're here today, Christ follower, God has brought those relationships. God's going to continue. It doesn't stop when you first become a Christ follower. If it's been a while since God's intersected your life, it's probably because you haven't been looking for it or you've been preoccupied. I get it. I understand that life spots do that to us sometimes. But I wonder if you would begin to pray for providential relationships. And then I wonder if you would be bold enough because God's going to use it to build your trust in him, not in people, but in him. I wonder if you would begin to pray, God, make me a divine appointment in somebody else's life. Let me be a providential person for the people around me. And I just wonder, even as you pray that, if God brings somebody to your mind, don't panic if you try to talk with them and they're not like, hey, I've been waiting for this. I cry holy and ask Jesus in my heart. Don't worry about that. You just be Jesus. Our thing is discover Jesus and go be Jesus. And I wonder if in the holy, sacred spaces that you operate in, your work, your family, if God's calling you, not just you don't cop 